statistics tell us that about 70% of Americans feel lonely and it has become such a problem that it has been declared an epidemic. What do we do? Join us for part four of our series, Rehab, as we let Jesus speak to our loneliness. The reason that loneliness is one of the topics for rehab is because they have taken surveys and they have found that 72% of Americans struggle with loneliness. Okay, and that's a lot of people if you think about it. 72% of whatever, 360 million people or whatever is here, that's a whole lot of people. And so it's something that people are struggling with. And the most interesting thing about it is that 30 years ago, 72% of Americans did not struggle with stuff like this. It, uh, um, it's become so bad that the American Psychological Association has labeled it an epidemic. You may be thinking, well, why would they do that? Why, why is loneliness something that needs to be labeled an epidemic? Well, here's what they found in their studies. They found that people who identify as being lonely are 50% more likely to die early, Okay? But that's not it. Wait till you hear these other stats. They also found that people who are lonely have a much, they're hungrier more, okay? They just are hungrier more often. And so what does that mean when you're hungrier more often? You eat more. Well, what happens when you eat more? You gain weight. Okay, what are, and then we've got all of these diseases that come with weight. And so what they found is that they can directly tie loneliness to obesity, diabetes, heart disease, um, arthritis, and several other diseases. And so this is why this is such a big deal, because it can have drastic and dramatic effects and impact on our life. As a matter of fact, Great Britain has seen this as such a problem that they just nominated somebody back in January to be the Minister for Loneliness. How would you like that job title, huh? What's your job? I'm the Minister for Loneliness. I contact all the lonely people here and, uh, and connect with them. I don't know, maybe he's gonna be all their friends. I don't know, but the, the reason they did that was because they saw all the health risks associated with it and the stats in their country that said so many people were lonely and so they decided to tackle this head on. And, and the most interesting part of all of this is do you know when the trend started for people being lonely? I know you're not gonna be able to guess it. And so, huh? Cell phones, no, way before cell phones. What they found was that two years after the original Macintosh computer came out is when the numbers started to spike. Now, you may find that funny, but here's the reason why. Okay, there had been personal computers out on the market before the Macintosh, but what happened was you needed to be a computer expert in order to own one of these home computers. You needed to know a programming language. You needed to know how to write code and all of these things just to use the computer. Well, the Mac was the first computer that came out that people could take home, set on their desktop, and instantly go off into another world without having to know any of that kind of information. And so what, what they think happened is that people were able to disengage and go into another uh, unreal world in their computer. And so that the computer boom, the computer taking off was what ushered in a generation of lonely people and we have only made it worse today. Like Carol said, our cell phones, our tablets, social media, and the internet access available anywhere and everywhere, it allows us to completely disengage from everyone around us and be in a crowded room and be as lonely as ever. And so that brings us really to the cause of this loneliness epidemic that we have today. And for clarification, or I'm not, cause, 
I wrote something wrong in my notes because we're not talking about the cause. But anyways, we think of lonely people, what do we think of? We think of the person sitting in their apartment all by themselves with 30 cats, right? Who's got that picture in their head? I mean, that's me. Whenever somebody says they have lots of cats, I instantly think to myself, they must be a lonely person. I don't know. That's just, that's just where I'm at. That's how I think. Um, but, uh, but that's not a definition of a lonely person because, as we've already said, you could be in a crowded room, be always with people, and be somebody who is a lonely person. What they have found is this. In our uber-connected world these days with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat, and others readily at our disposal on our phones, instead of reducing overall loneliness because of our connectedness to people, what they have found is instead has had the opposite effect on us. See, social media isolates us and separates us from people. And what, they've done studies, and what they have found is that the more time a person spends on social media, the lonelier they feel. Because in other words, they're taking real life, real people relationships and exchanging them for something that's on a screen, and this interaction is detrimental to our well-being. But the answer to loneliness is not just saying, hey, let's cut back on social media and uh, um, for many of us, if we were to do that, we would have struggles, right? Because our brains are addicted to social media, aren't they? How many of you, on a regular basis, you just pop out, you got nothing to do, you got five minutes to kill, so you pop out your phone, you open up Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and you just kind of flip through some stuff in there, then close it out, and then 20 minutes later, and then if you see the, the little red dot, those little red dots are evil, because every time I see a little red dot right there, I got to find out what it is. It's like OCD to get to the red dot. I'm not going to lie. And so Starbucks has a red dot on there. They're trying to draw me into their coffee today. But that's the way we are. And then when we post stuff, we want to see people engage with it, right? We're looking for likes. We're looking for comments. We're looking for engagement because when we see engagement, when we look at our Facebook and we've got red dots near our Facebook that say people have been engaging with us, it makes us feel like we have connection. It makes us feel like we have friends. It makes it feel like we're okay. But that is not the case. And getting rid of social media isn't the blanket solution to loneliness. It's more than just that. And so uh, we believe that uh, God has some answers in his word that can help us in our battle to overcome loneliness that we feel. And so for this message, we're going to hop around a little bit, uh, not just stay in one scripture. And uh, so I apologize to those of you who are not familiar with the Bible. The verses, they'll be on the screen behind me uh, so that you can follow along so you don't have to try and keep up uh, with our journey. But our first stopping place is going to be the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. We're going to be reading Psalm 142 this morning. And this psalm was written by David, the same guy who wrote the psalm that we've been in looking at the last couple of weeks. And as I said in previous weeks, he was probably the most well-known king of ancient Israel. And I'm going to read uh, in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 142, and this is what it says. David writes, Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. 
And some of you have listened to that and said, there wasn't any words in there. He didn't make mention of any loneliness. And so what I want to do is I want to take a journey here. And we're going to try and figure out what the context of this psalm is, what the situation was, what the place was that caused David and inspired David to write this psalm down. And so, so to figure this out, what we got to do is we got to go to the very top of the psalm. And so if you've got a Bible and it's open, if you go to the very top where it says Psalm 142, underneath it, it's got a little sentence written there. And sometimes they have these sentences in order to help us, to give us a cue as to the place and the time in which this psalm was written. And if we were to look on this one and look underneath there, it says, a masculine of David was when he was in a cave, a prayer. We don't know what the word masculine means, but it's not really important. What is important here is where David was at when he wrote this. He said it was written when he was in a cave. And so the question that we need to answer next is exactly what cave is David talking about? What cave is he in so that we can see what is going on in his life? And we have two options for the cave that David is in here. Our first cave that we have an option is uh, the cave at En Gedi. The second option is the cave at Adullam. Okay, those are the two caves. Those are the places that David spent time in a cave. And so we're going to look at these and see if we can figure out which cave he was hiding in. And I'm just going to say up front for time's sake that I don't think David was at the cave of En Gedi when he wrote this psalm. Why? Because it was at this cave David spared Saul's life. And if you're not familiar with the events, here's kind of what happened. Uh, David and his men, they were hiding out in this cave. And Saul and his army, they were out looking for David. Saul had 3,000 men with him. And they're, they're journeying through this desert of En Gedi. And you know, how many of you have ever taken a road trip and had to really go to the bathroom? Anyone been there? All right, yeah, so, so Saul is going down the road, and suddenly, I don't know, what was that, what's that commercial, that Pepto-Bismol commercial where they got these, these hands motions and stuff, but suddenly he's going like this, because he's got to run to the bathroom, right? And so uh, Saul's like, oh, what do I do? Well, you know, in those days, they didn't have rest stops to go to. He couldn't have just gone to the local 7-Eleven and used their facilities to relieve himself, but there was a cave that offered him some privacy. And so, so Saul goes up into this cave, and he goes into this cave at En Gedi, and he gets in there, and he gets all comfortable. And, you know, you got to try and, I'm, I'm trying to picture all of this going on in my head, because you got to think about it. How could David, so what happens is Saul starts going to the bathroom and David literally sneaks up on Saul and cuts a chunk off of his robe, okay? So you're going to the bathroom. Can people sneak up on you so close that they can cut a piece of your clothing off? I mean, it's just like, what is going on here? It's either like Saul was afraid of his men and he went so far back into the cave that he went where it was dark, where nobody could see him because he was a little bit embarrassed, or... I don't know what else. God blinded. Something happened. But anyways, he went in there. He went into this cave. He went to the bathroom. David snuck up on him. And at first, his men were telling him, David, you got to kill this dude. This is your opportunity. Kill the king. You can become king if you kill him. And David said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so he just cuts a piece of his robe off. And that took some courage. But it took more than just courage because then after David cut a chunk of the man's robe off, he then went and stood in front of the man and his 3,000 troops with the piece of the robe and said, hey... You guys kind of suck at guarding your king. I got a piece of his robe right here in my hand. And David 
If he was struggling with loneliness, if he was struggling with who he was and what God had called him to, he would not have had the confidence to crawl up on the king, cut off a piece of his robe, then go and stand out before 3,000 men with his 400 guys behind him to wave this in their face. I think the more likely cave was the cave at Adullam, and this is why I think that's the case. This was the first cave that David had arrived at when he was on the run, and things were not going his way at this point. This is what it says when he arrived at that cave in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Uh, listen to these words, uh, kind of compare them to where we were at here. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. All right, so who are the guys that gathered around David? The guys who were in debt. The guys who were discontented. You know, the, he, they were in distress. These were the men that gathered around David. I want you to put yourself in this place. You are the anointed king of the land, and suddenly men start to gather around you, or women start to gather around you. Who are you looking for to gather around you? You're looking for mighty warriors. You're looking for people who are going to help advance your plans and your purpose and what God is calling you to do. And instead, David gets a bunch of bums who are in debt, who are distressed, and nobody else wants in society. Not exactly an encouraging moment in your life, right? I mean, that's not what you, when you, when, oh, I'm really encouraged because I got this guy, he's in debt, this guy is discontented, this, I mean, this is just so encouraging. No, David didn't trust these guys. He had no, I mean, I don't think he really had hope for them. Yeah? There were men that he couldn't turn to. These were men he couldn't confide in. These were men who wouldn't bring comfort to him. He probably didn't even want to claim these men as his. David was desperate. He was sad, he was alone, and the men that gathered around him just emphasized where he was at in life. And for us, sometimes the reason that we struggle with loneliness is because of who and what we surround ourselves with to fix our loneliness. See, too many people use social media to fix their loneliness. They think that if they have more friends or followers that will help them with their loneliness. We already talked about the data, and instead of giving you what it promises friends, it makes the problem more severe. See, the problem is that in America, we want friendships and intimacy that don't cost us anything. We want free and easy friendships. We don't want friendships where people challenge us. We don't want friendships where people have the potential of hurting us, whether it's by walking away or doing things to or against us. We don't want people who confront us. We don't want people that have a different opinion than us and challenge us on that. And social media has created an environment where we can surround ourselves with only people who think like we do, speak like we do, act like we do, talk like we do, and that's incredibly destructive to anyone who wants to get out of the bonds of loneliness. Because what can we do? If we don't like what somebody says, if we don't like what somebody thinks, if we don't like what somebody does, all we got to do is hit the unfriend and unfollow button and that relationship is over, right? 
And a lot of people go into the place where they don't want friends because they don't want to get hurt. I was listening to studies on friendships in the church recently, and it was very interesting. And uh, so the first thing that they found in this study is that as a general rule, people that go to the church do not want to be friends with the pastor of the church. And you may be thinking all kinds of reasons why, but you know what they found out the reason why was? Most people think that the pastor is there, but he's going to leave soon, and so therefore I don't need to invest any relational energy into that relationship because all that's going to happen is we're going to become friends and then he's going to go someplace else, she's going to go someplace else, and I'm going to get hurt and I'm going to get wounded, and so I don't want that. Conversely, what they also found was that pastors stay at churches for a short term because they have a hard time finding anyone to be in relationship in with the church, and the isolation and loneliness drives them to another location. We're hurting our own selves in doing things like that, and that was just a part of the study. The fur further, the study found that... Uh, um, that uh, this goes just beyond the pastor because we live in a world where people change churches like they change clothes. People don't want to make friends in the church because they assume that those friends are just going to leave anyway and it's easier to be lonely than it is to go through the pain and hurt of a broken relationship. And just a little side note here. Another thing these studies have found is that loneliness is reduced when people are connected to a place. See, they found that living in the same city or town for your whole life is actually healthier for you than moving to different places and locations your whole life. And I know it's challenging, it's hard to, to say, okay, I'm just going to live and grow, uh, live my whole life in the town that I grew up in, that I was born in, that I was raised in. Um, we've got all kinds of factors that factor into this with jobs and schooling and, and other sorts of things that pull us away from that. But if we move this over to the church, a lot of times people switch churches on a regular basis. And for some of us, the solution to our loneliness issue is to stop switching churches and settle down into a place and become attached to it because it's when we become attached to a place that we become part of a community where we are known, which is one of the main factors in curing loneliness. But, but God is calling me to switch churches every few years. No, he's not. God knows that staying plugged in and connected at a place and being connected with a place is far healthier for us and our spiritual lives, and so God does not work like that. God doesn't just every couple of years move people to different churches. That's an American phenomenon, okay? If you go to China, the Chinese are not switching churches every couple of years. They're thankful for the church that they got, and they work hard to make it the best church possible so that they can reach their friends and their neighbors and their family. In America, we look at the church and we go, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this other thing. Let's go find another church. Oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. I don't like okay, let's go to another church. And that's how we live. That's not, if we want to get rid of loneliness, if we want to see loneliness 
moved out of the church. We need to get that consumer mentality about churches and, and living the gospel life out of our head. That's an American thing. It's not a biblical thing. We need to get away from it. Back to the point. So what do people do when they are trying to avoid the pain of friendships is that they just retreat to their families. My family, that's my friends, because they won't leave me, they won't betray me, they won't walk away from me, and they're okay if I have an opinion that's different from theirs. That is also unhealthy and not going to solve anyone's loneliness issues. You see, if we want to overcome loneliness, we have to understand that unless we are willing to pay a price, make sacrifices, and open ourselves up to being hurt, we are never going to overcome loneliness. See, David, even though he didn't trust these dudes, he couldn't confide in these people and had no comfort in them, he sacrificed for them, and they, in turn, sacrificed for him. And our message on Memorial Day is actually going to be about that very thing on 2 Samuel chapter 23, but a quick overview. It's just David celebrating all of the men that sacrificed for his friendship and for his kingdom. And it's just a memorial through that whole thing. And that's what we're going to be talking about on Memorial's Day. But, but um, if you want to overcome loneliness in your life, make sacrifices, take risks for friendship. If you want to overcome loneliness, quit trying to make friendship easy. Quit trying to find the painless way to connection because there isn't one. Another thing that I see here is that sometimes the people that we don't want or expect to are the ones that can set us free from loneliness. We already told you of the two caves. We saw at the cave of Adullam that David was alone and frustrated. Well, by the time he gets to the cave in the desert of En Gedi, two chapters later, he's a completely different person. Saul comes into the cave, and David's men, who were bums a couple of chapters ago, are encouraging him to take out the king and claim his throne. David's so encouraged, as I said, he cuts off the piece of the road, uh, robe. He contemplates killing Saul. He goes out and he waves the thing in front of his, uh, Saul's troops because he knew that these men, who two chapters ago weren't any encouragement to him, had his back if any trouble started. See, God took people... I'm sorry, David took the people God sent him. David befriended people that were rejected by others, cast out by others, and were on the edge of society. But see, with us, when it comes to making friends, we got standards, right? We got standards in our life, man. They got to be of my social class. They, they got to be of my uh, preferred stuff. They got to have the, the right coolness factor and they got to look the right way and, and wear the right part and drive the right car and live in the, the best neighborhoods. We are so concerned with our image that some of us will remain lonely just to maintain our image. But this goes beyond just pointing to those who are lonely there are people in the church that aren't lonely, that do this exact same thing to the lonely. They look at somebody else and they look down on them and they say, oh, yeah, that's not my kind of people. I can't, you know, I don't want to bring them into my friendship circles because it'll drag down my swag and it'll, it'll pull down my cool and, you know, I just can't have those kind of people. You know I got lots of swag, Carol. Why are you laughing so hard? Our loyalty is not to making sure that those who are part of the kingdom of God know friendship, but our loyalty is to our self 
and to our image. We'll judge people on whether or not they're worthy enough to be our friends or be in our circle, but that's not what we are called to do as the church. If you are one of the ones that has friends and it is not lonely, it's your job, it's your calling to befriend those who are lonely. We are, not, um, we are part of the cure for the loneliness issue in the church. We need to be on the lookout for people that are lonely and befriend them or try to connect with them or connect them to others. I mean, we have seen this happen so many times in youth ministry, and it just sometimes feels like youth are a little bit more willing to do this, but we had this one kid in Ocala. I mean, he was the reject of rejects, okay? Him and his mom, his dad had died of cancer. Him and his mom, they were in and out of homeless shelters. Uh, when, when they finally moved into a small house, um, they didn't have enough money to eat and pay their rent at the same time. And so what they had to do was whatever soup kitchen was serving that night, whatever place was giving out food that day, that's where they went to get their meals for the day. Many times they didn't have running water or electricity, which meant he didn't always get a shower, which meant he didn't always smell that great. But when he started coming to our youth ministry, we befriended him. Even though some of the kids said, you know what, he doesn't fit my image that I want to portray at school, and so I don't have time with him, some of the adults spent time with him, and befriended him. Some of the parents did not want that kid around their kids because he would corrupt them. The process, it took a while, but through these friendships, he finished high school and is now at college preparing for ministry when he graduates. See, that's the power we can have in someone's life if we befriend them. See, that's the influence that we can have if we can get over ourselves, get past our hang-ups about image and who is worthy of our presence and befriend the lonely. See, that's what David did with all of these men who appeared in the cave and they went from being just a ragtag band to 400 mighty warriors that were part, that were, that were key to him gaining the throne of the nation of Israel. And we can have the same influence on people as well if we do the same thing. All right, now let's head back to the book of Psalms uh, that we read at the beginning and where we see something else in our battle with loneliness. We see D David doing something here that I've spoke of uh, before. He speaks what he wants to have happen in his life. In those two scriptures we read, he says that the righteous will gather about him. At the time he spoke these words, all he had was all of these characters that he didn't seem to want around him. But instead of whining to God about that, he spoke into his situation and he said, the righteous will gather around me. He spoke like it was. See, people who struggle with loneliness reinforce the loneliness because they speak it into their lives. And because they continually speak it into their lives, it continues to pull them down and keep them lonely. You know, they tell themselves, I'm not good enough. I'm not likable enough. I'm not the person people want to be friends with. I'm just a loner. And they feed that into their minds and into their hearts, and it keeps them lonely. Instead, what God wants us to do is he wants us to speak words that say we are friends, 
We are, we have people around us. He wants us to speak those words into our life because what happens is as we start to speak those things, we start to believe those things. And suddenly when we start to believe we're a friendly person, that we can have friends, suddenly we start to get those things because we carry ourselves differently. We speak differently because what we believe about ourselves has an incredible impact on how we behave and what we do. And the last thing I want to take from these events is that the lesson that was learned by the men that gathered around David, they were lonely and desperate, and so what did they decide to do? A lot of, a lot of people in this world, they say, man, I'm lonely. You know what I need? I need a spouse. Man, that'll take care of my loneliness. Just get me a husband, get me a wife, then everything will be good. Is that what David's men did? No. A lot of people do that, though, and I can point to many husbands and wives that are married and desperately lonely. See, what they did was they went out and they found someone to serve. They found David and they said, let's serve him. And in the studies they have done, that they, they have found that one of the biggest weapons against loneliness is getting out there and serving. There's two reasons why. One, because in going and doing something for someone else, it takes your focus off of you for a while. And it allows you to put your focus someplace else. And when we can get our focus off of ourselves, a lot of times it changes how we think and how we act. But the second thing they found is that when you go to something that you're passionate about, there's something that you're, you know, you're really passionate about as far as ministry and serving goes, and you get involved in that, you find other people that are passionate about those things, and it, it causes you to build a relationship with those people, and it causes friendships to form because you're in something, you're involved in something that all of you are passionate about. This is part of the reason it's one of our core values here at FAM because we know the power of serving others and what it can do for our lives. And so if you're lonely this morning, I would say this. Don't just sit at home and say, I'm so lonely. Get up, get out, and serve someone. Do something for the kingdom of God because as you go and as you do, your focus is going to come off of yourselves and you're going to connect with other people and it's going to help to lift that loneliness burden that you carry in your life. So in closing, some of you may be concerned that I just did a whole message on loneliness and didn't mention how Jesus and God can cure our loneliness. Let me say this, in some of the things that we face in life, Jesus might not be the primary answer. Jesus, God, and even the church doesn't fix loneliness. Uh, We get in this attitude Or we say to ourselves, well, because the church is a spiritual organization and we're spiritual, then everything has to have a spiritual answer, but that's not always the case. Some of you are probably thinking I'm bordering on blasphemy right now, so let me read to you Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, and it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work, work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. 
I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam in the garden had God with him every day of the week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He shouldn't need anything else then, right? That's not the case. God looked down on Adam and his situation and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. See, God knows that it takes more than just a relationship with him to fix and cure loneliness in people's lives because we were, yes, built for a relationship between us and God, but we were also built for a relationship this way as well. God designed us, God created us to be interdependent of one another. And I know so many people say, oh, I'm just an independent person. No, if I were to put you in a place where there was absolutely no people for you to have contact with for like two weeks, you you would go insane, okay? No cell phones, you can't get a hold of Facebook, Snapchat, all that junk, okay? Nobody to talk to. Everybody's seen the movie Castaway, I think. You'd be talking to a volleyball about a week and a half into it, okay? We are designed to be interconnected together. We are designed to live life together in relationship. That's how God created us, and that's what he has called us to be in the church. And so we need to be connected with people, not just people, real people, not the people that you have as your friends on Facebook, the 600 people that you have that you actually only know about 40 of them, but you've added the other ones. That's a fake world, fake friends. The real world is in here, face-to-face, one-on-one, in relationship with one another. And so in closing this morning, here's the deal. You want to get past loneliness? Make decisions to take the risk of friendship. If you can't make a decision to take a risk then you're never going to get to a place where you're going to have friends because it will hurt, it will be painful, but ultimately it'll be worth it. Look for the unexpected friends. Don't just look in this little category that you have in your mind, but look for the unexpected friends. Then speak what you want into your life if you're lonely. Speak speak connection, speak love, speak friendship, speak all of those things into yourself, and then finally get out and serve those, serve others to get the focus off of yourself. And if you can implement these four things into your life, it's going to help overcome any loneliness that you face on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.